On Pop Fiction Women, we explore what it means to be a complicated woman. Tired of endless variations of leading men next to one-dimensional archetypes of women or strong female leads written by men that were essentially guys in women's bodies. We started this show to highlight the many female characters in entertainment worth exploring, as well as the women who dreamt them up. And now we're adding those creators to our conversations, discussing their process and passion in bringing these women to life. Welcome to Complicated Conversations. On these episodes, there's no spoilers. So come on, it's starting. On this episode of Complicated Conversations, we welcome back the hilarious, talented, generous Karen Slaughter. Published in 120 countries with more than 40 million copies sold across the globe, Karen Slaughter is the author of more than 20 instant New York Times bestselling novels, including the Edgar-nominated Cop Town and standalone novels Pretty Girls, The Good Daughter, and Pieces of Her. The adaptation of Pieces of Her is a number one Netflix original series starring Tony Collette and Bella Heathcote, which we personally loved, as did our listeners, and I guess the whole world, seeing it was number one in like 50 countries. So Karen is back to discuss the sequel to Pieces of Her, Girl Forgotten. Thank you so much for joining us, Karen. Thank you. Well, you've put a lot of pressure on me to be funny and charming. Thanks a lot. (laughs) You, you will do just fine. You know. Yeah, look at you already. I met you this summer for the very first time in person at Thriller Fest, which is just extraordinary from beginning to end. It's readers and writers, debut authors, and then iconic figures such as you. Veronica Roth was there this year, Alifair Burke, Diana Gabadon of the Outlander series. I mean, the list goes on. So You led some of the best conversations, and I really hoped that you would start with one of the questions that you asked a panel that you were moderating. All the authors had big Hollywood adaptation deals. You asked them, when did you realize that you'd made it? I don't know if I ever let that sink in, because what has made it? It constantly moves. I mean, you gals are very driven. You know this. You don't just, hey, I passed the LSAT. Winning. (laughs) I'm out of law school. You know, it's just like a constant thing. You got to always set yourself up new goals, I feel. Okay, Um, but I never got a phone call like you did. (laughs) It's funny because the last time I got a phone call that I was number one in a country, I was literally scooping out the litter box. And I thought, (laughs) this is like keeping it real. Um, (laughs) And my editor was like, are you scooping the litter box? Can you just stop for a second? I'm like, Oh, the cat's waiting. You're yeah. like, but but now I'm the cat owner uh, as a number one exactly. best-selling author. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to take in. I don't want to think about it too much because I love writing and I don't want to lose sight of why I do things like this and why I travel and why I put myself out there when I'd just rather be at home in my pajamas <laughs> reading like most of my readers. And I remember years ago I was in the UK And I was at my editor's house all day and I was in the cab going home and I was like, wow, this is amazing. I remember as a little girl getting up early to watch Charles and Diana get married and thinking, you know, England is a fantasy land, right? And not even thinking I'd ever be there. And here I am in the back of a fancy car and I was with my editor and the next morning my editor called me and she was like, do you realize in five hours we went through four bottles of wine? 
I was like, okay, well, that's what it takes to that's, get me to clinch, right? <laughs> there you go. That's yeah. when I can see the fantasy land. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So we said in the bio that Girl Forgotten is a sequel to Pieces of Her. You're no stranger to writing sequels as the author of the Grant County and Will Trent series, both of which are in development for TV. So I just wanted to start by by asking you why you wanted to write this sequel and, and continue the story of Pieces of Her. I mean, keeping the characters in the backstory, but then, of course, introducing like this new thread that we get to pull and unravel. I wanted to hear a little bit about that. When I finished Pieces of Her, so this was five years ago, I thought that it would be a standalone. And it probably would have, but for the Netflix series. And, and what got me to thinking more about Andrea and Laura was I started reading the scripts. And I thought, wow, there's a big question here. Because I think every good book starts with a question that you answer by the end. And so the question for Andrea was, she, she basically did what her mom did. She blew up her life. Yeah. Like it wasn't working. So she did something completely different and out of character. I mean, she dropped out of art school and she ends up being a U.S. Marshal. And I really liked the idea of her taking control of her life because her quest in the, in the whole of pieces of hers just to kind of grow up and figure out who she is. And I, I wanted to answer that question. Who is she now? And also her parents are stone cold criminals. And so she's a marshal. And how does she square that? Is she a bad person who's trying to do good? Or is she a good person who occasionally did some bad things, right? And so that's her quest. But also, I thought, well, let's, let's give this some backstory. And let's talk about why she would be in this particular town in Maryland, this beachside community. And that's because there's a crime that happened 40 years ago that her father could or could not have been involved in. And so right. there's the mystery of what happened to this young woman. Her name's Emily Vaughn. Unfortunately, she's in the first chapter of one of my books. So things don't turn out really well for her. Mm -hmm. But that that was a really, I thought, I love these sins of the past and sins of the father kind of books because I do them a lot now. And I thought that would be really interesting to kind of figure out, okay, well, who is she through the lens of this crime and solving this crime? Yeah. And we also, we see her, as you mentioned at the beginning of Pieces of Her, she's really kind of a mess, very typical millennial living in her mom's garage and, and not motivated, has no real direction in life. And then this, we see her really stepping up and she thinks right out of the gate, she thinks she's proud of herself. She's finishing this punishing run and she's about to be a, a U.S. Marshal. And of course, her mom is not that thrilled about it. Her mom has a very different, Laura has a very different perspective that you're working from the enemy here. Yeah. And it was really interesting to see their dynamic in this book change. First of all, Andy becomes Andrea. She's like, look, my name, I'm my own person now. And Laura isn't really trying, isn't lying to her, isn't trying to protect her. And Andrea is actually seeing her as an asset as the book goes along. She thinks I can ask my mother for insight into these characters' motivation, a psychopath. How do they think and how do you get in with them? It's not just about her mother, who she was. It is about their dynamic now too, kind of seeing each other as equals, seeing each other as, a, as adults. Is that what you wanted for them? 
It is. And Laura has that typical parent thing of, I want you to grow up and explore things and be on your own. And then the kid doesn't. She's like, not that way. I think that's just part of growing up is disappointing your parents and also kind of being disappointed in your own parents, right? And realize yes. they made mistakes and they did stupid things. And but kind of. so I think part of navigating that relationship, being an adult child to a parent is accepting that you're both adults and you both did really stupid things in the past. I thought that was really good for Andrea to just kind of push herself out of the nest in a way that really pissed off her mother. Yeah, yes. yeah, absolutely. And then Laura comes around. And I particularly love Andrea's dad because he's like, I don't support this, but I support you. Yeah. Uh, don't do this. Don't just go home. Don't do it. <laughs> go yeah. back to art school. That's a lucrative career. Yeah. Yeah. And he, Gordon is always the voice of reason. Like, do you expect her to be happy right now? But just chill, do your own thing. It'll be okay. Right. Yeah. 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 So I want to talk about Judge Vaughn. Andrea's first assignment as a marshal is to protect this judge who's receiving death threats and to investigate, as you said, this cold case with links to her father's past. And the judge is really a formidable woman. You write that one article called her a difficult woman and that the early aughts saw her described in a far more squishy, complicated woman. More recently, all the strong I adjectives were invoked, imposing, imperious, intelligent, and most commonly, indomitable. So as a podcast that focuses on complicated women, I, I obviously had to ask you about you know, this description of Judge Vaughn and, and her development for you as a character. Because I have to tell you, as a as a woman and a lawyer, I think you really nailed the challenges that she would face trying to ascend to the federal bench, which, as you noted, requires a nomination from the president and a lot of scrutiny. So tell us a little bit about Judge Vaughn and, and, and your development of her. Well, I think that line you quoted is a really important one. At least it was to me when I was writing it. Some things stick out. And I think all those I adjectives are basically difficult woman, but yeah. kind of updated, right? Yeah. Yep. It seems like it's not a negative thing, but all those things feel really negative when you use yeah. them to describe a woman, right? Yep. I mean, when you do it with a man, there's like strength attached to it. And, you know, so the second part of Esther that really resonated for me is when she was talking to Emily back in the 1980s about this nomination and saying, we've got to get the right kind of women. Mm -hmm. So she's one of these women who's a gatekeeper for other women. You know, you have to do this. You have to do that. Yeah. You can't be this kind of person. You can't have this sort of political belief. She's very good at policing other women, much more so than like the patriarchal sense. Mm -hmm. We would, you know, in, in the Hulu parlance, we would call her an Aunt Lydia almost. <laughs> but one thing I like is that she evolved. Her thinking evolved and she realized, I've always told myself I'm doing, maybe I do the wrong thing for the right reasons, but that still doesn't mean it's not wrong, right? Yeah. And as a judge, I'm passing down sentences on people. And, and one of the things that I really, that really resonated as I was researching this character, it was this woman who was a judge wrote a book about how in her retirement, she met some of the people she sent him, and which is a really brave thing to do. And I, I don't think you'd find any male judges who would do mm. that. You know? no. They're <laughs> um, over it. Learning yeah. is over, right? Yeah. And also just, it was really interesting to see, particularly with federal judges, and no matter the political slant, that they are, uh, for the most part, I mean, they're, some of them are not the best and the brightest. Mm. They're just kind of lucky they 
knew the right political people and they got into this and then they get there and they're like, you know what, this is what I think the law should be. Not necessarily what the law is. That's why I like writing about lawyers because everybody's so disappointed when they find out what the law really is. Yeah. That's why I always say, you know, a, a Democrat is a Republican who went to prison. Like, <laughs> it's so shocking. Because, I mean, the system is just not what we all think it is unless we get into it. Yeah. So I thought for Esther that that kind of realization might be an interesting kind of transformation for her. Because generally people like that, it has to happen to them before yeah. they have any sympathy. Yeah. Right. So if they've got a disabled child or they've got a, a gay child or they got, you know, it's somebody they love has something that makes them an outlier, they will change their mind. But they can't look at someone maybe who's coming to, you know, and, and, and with that same. That. Yeah. So for Esther, that's what I wanted to do is have that transformation. And honestly, I think it's interesting because it wasn't what happened to her daughter that transformed her. Yeah what's happening to her at home, which is horrific, that transformed her. It was just getting older and not giving a shit, which I yes. think we can all relate to, right? It's exactly. like all this stuff that I was fighting for and holding on to, it's really meaningless at the end of the day if I don't start to learn from these things that I'm experiencing. Oh, yes. But it's hard to let go of it. When you're younger, you kind of need those things to form you and shape you. You have to have something to push against, but... It is true. As you get older, it just you realize it doesn't matter. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. That was Luckily, great. We're not that old, so we no. <laughs> eventually. I know. And can we order some of those realizations? I have a list of names people <laughs> currently who yes. need to have one on their own. But yeah. Yes. So we want to talk about the adaptation of pieces of her as well. Kate and I were fortunate enough to attend a pre-launch conversation with you and Charlotte Stout, the creator of the ad adaptation. And we learned that you had been approached many times about adapting your work over the years. And but that from the start, you knew that this was not going to be a kind of a typical Hollywood meeting. Why did you feel this was the right time to adapt and this was the right team to do it? Well, you know, Bruna has done so many amazing shows like Big Little Lies and Wild. And, you know, she has a very deep understanding of literature, which a lot of producers like stories. And Bruna likes stories, but she loves the language of stories as well. And that's a very big difference, you know. Yeah. And it reminds me like when I was a kid in ninth grade and, you know, I loved reading. I've always loved reading. But I had a teacher who taught me to read for the language, right? And it makes, makes you understand as a writer how powerful a tool language can be. So I think Bruna mm -hmm. really gets that. And she just understood the story. So did Charlotte. She really keyed in on a lot of important things. You know, a lot of times it's weird because I, I write books that are very tense and sometimes can be graphic and I'll have these calls and they can think of all kinds of ways to change everything. But then they say, well, we don't know how to handle the violence. And, you know, I think Minky really did a good job on that with the directing and that diner scene that opens yes. everything. It's so tense and believable. And, you know, it, it gave me an understanding of the process because I read all the scripts, of course, but then I saw it and I was like, holy shit, you know, I never understood what a director does like this. Yeah. Or, you know, there's this 
part where Tony puts her hands over Bella's eyes mm -hmm. so she can't see what's going on. That's not in the script. That was just yeah. her thinking what I, I would do if this happened to me and my child. And it, yeah. it was really amazing to see those sorts of small things that different creative people can bring to the process. I mean, I just, I thought it was just fascinating to watch, sitting back and just seeing why they made some choices they made. You know, the, a lot of pieces of her is Andy sitting in a car crying and <laughs> that's not really riveting TV. And, you know, it was. Back to, well, <laughs> well, some of it was, but you know, I, she couldn't do that for hours. She could right, have right. an episode, you know, but the, the thing I kept going back to with Bruna is she just really understood, look, this isn't about Andy hooking up with Mike and having it like a massive sex scene or, mm -hmm. you know, this is about a mother and a daughter and about them finding strength alone from each other and with each other. And that was really important. So she, she really got that. And, you know, we had the good fortune to interview Charlotte and Minky as well. And, and you know, same thing for us. I mean, we, we, in interviewing them, had to look at it from what she did as director versus what she did as showrunner. And you're right, the various ways that each sort of contribute to make the end product. And, and it seems like an amazing group of people. And the, the end product certainly shows that. Oh. Um, so you were definitely in good hands or your story was in good hands, but you still, I read, had some anxiety when it was done. I mean, you told the Washington Post, I just really want my readers to be happy. Yeah. I mean, I can't control reviewers. Let's be honest. This is a story about a mother and daughter. And a lot of guys aren't into stories about mothers and daughters. So I know a lot of male reviewers might not key into it. So one of the reasons we started this podcast was to give female creators and their stories the space and level of analysis that, that men are used to. And that's not to say male reviewers or readers can't get your work or ours, but we do feel like we bring a specific point of view and we care about certain things like stories about mothers and daughters. So how much does any of this, these dynamics sort of factor into your stories when you when you're writing them like how it's going to be received or by whom or is it really just always your readers that you have in mind well i mean honestly i don't think about my readers until the book is done mm. i only write for myself mm. and i write you know what i want to write how i want to write it and then i'm always shocked when people are like wow this is really political or wow this is really like uh, you really take on these strong women roles because i'm just writing what i know and I'm writing what I want to read about. You know, no one said to Lee Child, why are you writing about such strong men? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Why does Richard have to be so tough all the time? Yeah. Uh, you know, why is he always having great sex? You know? <laughs> so he's like ginormous. That's what I loved about the, re the TV show, the Reacher show on Amazon. It's like, this is what he looks like, girls. This yeah. is not... Um, <laughs> bring it down, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's it's just really important to me to tell my story. And then I start to worry, oh, I hope my readers like this. Because, you know, it's like I said in the article, I've known some of them for so long. And always my first edition is in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my little, my little guys, Jan and Oka, his wife... They come to my events and he loves reading me and you know, he sends me pictures of himself reading my books. And when I think about them, I think, you know, I've got the equivalent of that all over the world. You know, there's a guy in Australia or, you know, this woman in Germany or, or whoever, or this yeah. book club that I, I, I do in the UK. You know, I want them to be pleased 
Because, I mean, one, because that's my job is to write entertainment. And the other reason is I I know that people love the books and I want to make sure that I'm delivering the best book I possibly can every single time, which sometimes, yeah. like, especially as I get older, is it kills me. Uh, <laughs> but that's, that's really important because I don't think you should do it unless you're passionate about it. I think part of the question of, wow, you write about such strong women, it is underneath that is you're also entertaining us and you're also showing violence and strife and conflict, meaning mothers and daughters are supposed to be sweet and baking in the in the kitchen. And here you are, you know, giving us this fast paced thriller where people's lives are in danger and yet women are saving themselves, saving you know, their mothers, their daughters, their their the people they love that those things don't usually go together. And that's the kind of shocking part of it. And yet you do it so effortlessly every single time. Well, thank you. It's, it's the Mary Higgins Clark pattern. You know, Mary always said, let the woman save herself. Yeah. I'm sure there was all the romance and all that kind of stuff, but you'd never read one of her books where this woman was saved by the hero. The woman was always the hero. And yeah. I think that, you know, as a woman... It's the same reason that men love superhero movies and they love, you know, the, the video games where the men, man is the hero. I think women feel the same way. And it's wonderful that now, you know, I didn't grow up with that. Yeah. There was always one token woman and then she would faint so that <laughs> I could save her, right? Yeah. I mean, even on Fantasy Island, there wasn't a strong woman. So I, I just, I really think it's important to have that representation. Yeah, well, we do too. And and again, across genres, I love high octane thrillers, but I'm tired of seeing every single one of them with a whole entire cast of men. And so this was, you opened that up for so many people. And we appreciate just being the given the chance to review this and unpack your work and your voices and your opinions and dissecting it. It's just a joy for us. But I, I want to shift gears a little bit. It has become a signature of ours to ask on this podcast about astrology. We talked about this last time that you're Capricorn, but Someone else saw a connection in the stars. When we talked to Charlotte, she said that in her original pitch to you that she had mentioned your birthdays were one day apart yeah. and that she was worried about coming off like an astrology nut, she said, <laughs> but that she felt that she could understand you. Did you get the sense that you had something fundamental in common, whether you called it Capricorn or whether you just had got that feeling from talking to her? I think so, you know, but you guys, you guys know this. When you meet another woman who has her shit together, you just <laughs> do it, right? Yes. So I, I want to be a part of that. Yeah. So, you know, all these women from Minky to Charlotte, I mean, to Tony, I mean, it, I, it, it was really funny. So we all did this Zoom and there's Tony Collette and she's in her hotel room and they had sent her some material and they come to find out she didn't have the right material. And you could see everybody like freezing. Oh my God, we didn't send the right material. And oh she was God. like, fuck it, let's just wing it, you know? And yeah. I thought that's the kind of people that I like to work with is, is adaptable people who don't sit around and worry about blame and, you know, let's just do it. We're here. Yeah. And yeah. Charlotte had that attitude as well. I mean, I'm really happy she's doing the morning show now, show. which I love. I don't think you're supposed yes. to love it, but it's a fantastic show. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yes. I mean, a lot of people watch it. I mean, it's hugely popular, despite what you read on Twitter. But, yeah. you know, I, I think it was just we, we had the same kind of vision for storytelling. And the same, it's very important, I think, to have this be on the same page as far as your professionalism. 
Yeah. I mean, like the worst thing you guys have done group projects, you've probably been co-chair. You know, <laughs> if somebody's not bringing their full game and you are, it's infuriating. Infuriating. Uh, so yeah, I did feel that simpatico yeah. with Charlotte, with all of the women actually. I do want to come back to Girl Forgotten. There was a, an aspect that really spoke to me, which was, I don't know what this says about me, but <laughs> the we'll get to it. The So the female rage, female anger part that's explored here. At one point, Andrea says to Judith, they don't understand a woman's anger when she was discussing the dismissiveness or dis, dismissive comments that she received from male professors. And that really struck me because I do think that people underestimate the anger inside many women. We are clearly taught to suppress it or not let it out. But for me, you know, I found that the characters that I relate to most that we've covered on this podcast are the ones that really lean into their anger, sometimes to the point of absurdity for purposes of the show or the content. But Still, it's the ones I relate to the most. So it makes them real to me and, and something that I can relate to. And you certainly don't shy away from exploring female trauma and then the rage that can result from that. So why is this something that you seem to keep coming back to in your writing? I, I think every woman kind of feels it. I mean, if you're yeah. not angry right now, you're kind of not paying attention to yeah. the world. Yeah, like, dead inside. That's fine. Yeah. You know, if that's if you can live that way, yeah, <laughs> bless you. Yeah. Yeah. It's so much easier. There's a lot. Yeah, yeah, but it's just like the everyday shit women put up with, you know. And so, you know, the whole thing about you know the backlash to Me Too or whatever, it's like. So much energy put into making sure men don't feel bad about themselves. Oh my god! Like gosh. if I had all that energy back from my twenties, oh, oh my! I can't imagine how my what? life would have been so different if oh. I not worried about oh I hurt a man's feelings or you know but boosting yeah. up. And we, you know, we don't really do that for each other. I That's think right. women do more than than my generation, certainly. But it, I mean, it goes back to that policing, like you're doing the right thing, you're doing the wrong thing. And, you know, particularly when a woman isn't a quote unquote perfect victim. I mean, you guys see this in the law all the oh, time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, which rape case is going to get brought? Like the woman of color, the prostitute, the or yeah. the white woman who, you know, died in the process. And we have a lot of good pictures. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's just, why wouldn't you be angry about that? But also I'm angry at some of the women who act as the gatekeepers for that because it's just lack of understanding of how the world works. And the thing is, I, I learned this, a hard lesson about this, which I won't go into. It's very private. In my 20s about judging other people because then that shit's going to happen to you. Oh, yeah. Either you're going to say, wow, I am such an asshole. I shouldn't be that way. Or you're going to say, well, it's different because it happened to me. Right. Mm-hmm. There's really right. only two types of people. Yeah, that's right. And, exactly. and so that, I mean, that is very enraging. It's really annoying that the same things I started writing about 20 plus years ago are the same things I'm writing about now. And mm-hmm. not a lot has changed. You know, even writing about women in the law, I remember. A few books back, I had a woman who was a lawyer and she was talking about how she was advised how to dress in front of a jury, you know, and part of it was because I had read that a juror was polled and in this trial, this murder trial, 
And one of the reasons why he acquitted the, the defendant was because the prosecutor just didn't make an effort to look like a woman. Oh, Jesus. Oh, yeah. boy. Yeah. And, and, and so I got, you know, people writing in saying that wouldn't happen. But then, like, a few days ago, I read where that woman yeah. who's a reporter went to the execution chamber, and they said, you can't come in in Alabama because your skirt isn't one inch below your knee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Like, yeah that, that's like, it's still happening. If and it's present day. It, it's not like she was in a micro mini, you know? Right. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, and she no. warned that before, but the gatekeepers again were like, "Well, we're not going to let you do it this time." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but uh, the, I think having putting it out there and having this dialogue does help. It's not gonna, nothing's ever going to change overnight, but the it's incremental progress in right. the conversations when we yeah. stop talking about skirts and we start talking about abortion, and you know, like. There, these things happen little by little and differently everywhere, but the conversation is the only way it happens. Absolutely. And especially in your books, if you're in those circumstances and you're not angry, I don't know what you're doing, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like you're you're not there. Yeah. Well, particularly, I think that's what I like about Emily and Girl Forgotten is her evolution from, I can't show that I'm angry. I can't show that I'm upset to like, finally, she says, I'm just going to do whatever I want. Like, what else do I have to lose? And I think that kind of attitude can be very freeing. Like, what are they going to do to me? Right? Exactly. Oh, yeah. We talk about people getting canceled. We all went to high school. People have been getting canceled. That's right. (laughs) Exactly. It was truly canceled. It didn't take the internet. It didn't take, like, wokeism or whatever. It was like, she did the wrong thing in the eyes. She's on the outs. Everybody Mm -hmm. agreed this is the wrong thing. So that makes it wrong. Right. Yeah, absolutely. A high school perfected that. Yes. Mm -hmm. So if do you have time for one more question? We want to talk about your process a little bit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I know you write in, or I've heard you say that you write in isolated blocks in this cabin that your dad built in the woods. And that because you think so much about your stories in advance, you don't necessarily do a lot of drafts or revisions. But I also heard you say that when you're on your way up to this cabin that you listen to music and it could be some Dolly, maybe some Tupac, which to me was just immediately, of course, Dolly, Tupac, as one does, you know, flip between those two. So I did want to ask a little bit about your process and yeah, how music plays into it. You know, I I can't listen to music when I'm writing, but it certainly can set a tone. And I love Mm -hmm. Dolly. I mean, Dolly, Tupac, they're they're great storytellers, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. that's, thing that gets to me and I you know I've I've been listening to Beyonce lately yeah and actually I had my cat with me to take her to the vet and she anytime cuff it wasn't on she would start (laughs) down and if you heard it it's like fuck 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 and I'm like all right and by the way I got you girl (laughs) 400 bucks for the vet to tell me she's just old and cranky right but uh, apparently loves some cuff it Uh, yeah does it does put me in like a, a frame of mind and I think it's really it's important to have art inspire you and yeah. I really feel whether it's like Mac Miller or you know I love Red Molly is another great group or the Secret Sisters so I am a little bit country and a little bit rock and roll yeah so yeah I just it really helps me frame myself into what I'm going to be working on as I go to the cabin 
I just didn't know if one, you know, so you know what you're going to write, then do you choose the music accordingly or? Yeah. Yeah. Basically okay. just to kind of set the mood. Like I was listening to a lot of Natalie Merchant the other day because oh. I've been thinking about the next Will and Sarah. Oh. And again, she was, she's such an amazing storyteller, particularly in the la- latter half of like the nineties, she was doing a lot of interesting work on storytelling and I, I, I love songs like Kind and Generous. And, and her songs are not necessarily about love of another person. It's a lot of them are about self-love. So I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. What were you listening to on the way up to write Girl Forgotten? Do you remember? You know, I was listening to a lot. So Emily is alive and well in the 80s. And so a lot of music from the 80s is really horrible. But, <laughs> but I was listening to a lot of Blondie and Juice uh, Newton yes. and Luscious Jackson. I loved L- Luscious Jackson so much. That's more 90s. But you know, just trying to get into that vibe. And one of the characters is someone who's very musically inclined. And, you know, if since we're talking about process, so... You know, one of the things about Andrea as an artist is her metaphors and similes are all going to be art, color, visual based, right? Mm -hmm. So I had to really cement myself in an understanding of art in in the same way I did with music for Laura, because, you know, she had this musical background. So Mm -hmm. her references were very musical. But, you know, I did have this one character who grows up to be fantastic, Melody Brickle. And I a lot of deep dive research on the, the kind of music that she would embrace. Like she starts out at the Go-Go's, she ends up at Pink mm-hmm. and Chili Peppers and, you know, she's a, she's a, a drummer. So, you know, she's into that heavy kind of beat. So that, mm-hmm. that was really fascinating for me. It's just picking up on the language of these different characters and just the way they view the world. Yeah, and Melody makes a great mixtape. I was going to emulate yes. it. I, I tagged that in the book. I was like, this is a great mixtape. These are fantastic. But people, like, the thing about a mixtape, though, that people have forgotten is they're not 6,000 hours. I mean, people, <laughs> people make playlists now. Right, and there's 6, right. There's songs on it. Of course, you only listen uh, to 15 ones, right? But yeah, it, it's like, I miss the brevity of a mixtape and the sort of curation of, I yeah, mean, there's Sweeter than a high school boy thinking he knows you and giving you a tape, and you're like, "What?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You got it right here. You got it wrong here. Yeah, yeah, right. right. Yeah, because then the mixtape itself tells a story, right? right. It, it has its own arc. It has its own, you know, piece of of snapshot of time, falling in love or breaking up or whatever. But a seven hour, you know, playlist on Spotify is is all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. After a while, you're just dragging crap on there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I just made one for my birthday and I named it the Leo Bad Bitch Mixtape. And it's only 36 minutes. So I feel like I did, I did adhere to your rules. You understood the assignment, as they say. Yes. Well, Karen, thank you so much for joining us again. Girl Forgotten is out now. And will you be at Thriller Fest next year? Can I come say hi Absolutely. I hope everybody's there. I want to say I love Thriller Fest. We're doing so much outreach. So if you want to be a published author, we've had a lot of people come into our pitch fest and they've gotten agents and they've gotten published. Yeah. Or if you're you're already published and you you know you're not a number one New York Times bestseller, those are, that's the backbone of our membership. 
Yeah. So we welcome all people from, from all places and it's a fun time and I, I'm absolutely going to be there next year. It's a, just a great event. One of the best I've been to. So oh, the, the best people, just the best people there. Yeah, we're wondering why people who write about, as you joked, what murders and and crimes psychopaths are the and funniest, <laughs> most outgoing, warm people. So yeah. something to that. Well, maybe, maybe it's cathartic. Or yeah. maybe we're, we're psychopaths and you just don't know. We're really good at it. No, or you work it out on the page. Whereas yeah. I, the the rumor is that romance authors are terrible to each other because they're all in their fantasy <laughs> oh, yeah. here. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I only know like two children's book writers who actually like children. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, so true. true. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much, Karen. Girl Forgotten was fantastic and was just such a pleasure to talk to you, as always. My pleasure. Thank you. This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate. If you enjoyed this show, please tell the complicated women in your life. And the men who love them. Yes, tell them to listen. And then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media. Tag us with your favorite books, TV shows, and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at Pop Fiction Women or on Twitter at Pop underscore women. For more coverage of the women you love or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com. And keep it complicated.